everybody, and welcome back to yet another episode of Nightmare Now. I'm the host, Eric Byrne, and this is the show where we vacation vicariously to Viking Valhalla and venture vocally through voodoo, venom, and the vacuum of space. Today, let's stay a little bit more grounded towards the first part of that phrase. Life is pretty good over here after I stopped doing that alien research. The sightings in the woods mostly stopped, so that's nice. For more on that, check out last week's episode. Better yet, binge the whole series. Although, I'm on my third borrowed car because of mechanical issues, so I'm pretty sure I'm still the target of some kind of light sabotage from the Men in Black. No matter, they can't stop the signal, and neither can anything else, except maybe my need to sleep, or procrastinate, or attend my real-life job. I'm working on a longer episode on a horrific high-seas adventure I hope to air within the next couple of weeks that I am super excited about. But for now, we've got some historical Scandinavian spooks. Let's just jump right into it. We've got an awesome Viking ghost story. Or is it a zombie story? I guess in a weird way, it's kind of a little bit of both. We'll, We'll get to that in a minute. My source for this story is a neat little book I picked up called The Penguin Book of the Undead. Penguin like the publishing company. I think they do a Penguin Book of the Dead that might be a retranslation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead or the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Seems like everybody's got a Book of the Dead. We've got the Compton Book of the Dead, you know, the Las Vegas Book of the Dead. I I don't know, I'm (laughs) I'm just riffing off of bullshit here. So Penguin put this out, and it's kind of like a curated collection of snippets and apocrypha from various historical texts that reference the undead, ghosts, ghouls, ghasts, vampires, zombies, all kinds of that cool shit. Ghasts is another one of those words that's like a hard consonant with an S. Like wasps, asps, I hate them. And I can't help but pointing them out every single time I say them. That's my toxic trait. What's yours? So the book goes from ancient Hebrew stuff, Scandinavian sagas, ancient Egyptian mummies, the Roman Empire, all the way up through the Renaissance. And it's pretty fucking awesome. I'll throw a link in the show notes if you want a copy for yourself or a friend or whatever. It would make a great gift for somebody that enjoys this podcast, probably. It's a cool read, and I'll probably rip out a few chapters for shorter episodes like this one. Not all in a row, like I'm not going to do the next 17 episodes on uh, different ghosts haunting different Christian abbeys or something. We're we're, we're still going to mix up the feed, but it's cool nonetheless. So this story is from apparently a few different sources referenced within the Book of the Undead I've got here, and maybe even a couple more besides. Basically, in the 13th century, the Danes and the Norwegians and Swedes and and everyone else up there on the top of the world were, let's call it, introduced to Christianity. And with that giant air quotes, introduction came mostly screams, clanging swords and rape, but more importantly for our purposes today, the gift of literature. From then on, the Scandinavians wrote down their current and past history and oral traditions, curiously scattered among those histories, and sometimes even removed from the sagas or legends and stuff, were tales like this one. 
Asvith and Asmund were an inseparable pair of Viking berserkers. Great friends that did pretty much everything together. For the soundtrack to this next section, I want you to imagine Queen's You're My Best Friend over this next montage. I'd play it over this part, but that would absolutely be the end of this show. If you think a living dinosaur or a plane hijacking is horrifying, imagine Queen's lawyers. If you're not into Queen, some alternatives include imagining the Vikings collapsing in Andy's room to Randy Newman's you got a friend in me. <laughs> imagine, otherwise, imagine Vikings, and I shudder to say this, twerking to Saweetie and Doja Cat's best friend. And if none of that appeals to you, there's always Witch Doctor from the uh, from the Makuli Mambembe episode, which is applicable in just about every scenario. I'll have to uh, throw that on the wedding playlist and get that cleared with my fiancé. I keep saying wife. Anyway, no matter what the score is to this montage, you have the best of best buddies, Asvith and Asmund, having the time of their lives pillaging and killing together. I'm picturing big jacked, bearded dudes frolicking over grassy hills in the sunlight, but also lopping off people's heads with battle axes. Maybe throwing in some romantic Blades of Glory style lifts and choreo. One and two and three and four and... <coughs> so Asvith and Asmund would do all their raping and pillaging, constantly challenging each other to feats of strength. Who could fell a tree faster? Who could ford a river in their canoe quicker? Which one of them could kick a severed monk's head farther? Who could pee harder? You know, guy stuff, right? The fun part of that was that they would always die. They had the same size dongs, they could both run just as fast, they had an equal kill count, all that jazz. A regular old Simon and Garfunkel, these two. Honestly, I have no idea if those two actually got along. Maybe Hall and Oates? This isn't really a music show, at least not at its heart. Oh, there's George jumping around. We've talked a lot about music in this episode, though, so if you're new, I guess I understand the confusion. We'll do some music stuff here sometime. There's a lot of freaky stuff in that field, from Fleetwood Mac finger-blasting each other to the point of madness, Marky Mark fighting the Vietnam War well into the 80s, or Elvis Presley killing John F. Kennedy. Anyway, Asvith and Asmund, best buddies until the bitter end. It was because they were so close, and definitely not lovers, that they made the dastardly pact that made the second half of this story possible. They made a blood pact between them. Because they were so evenly matched, one would challenge the other to a final test of strength. Whoever outlived the other had to be entombed with them for three days in their final resting place, buried alive. At the end of the three days, they could leave the tomb, and at last, the tie would be broken. I'm picturing the Who Gets the Family Bible song that they do in Step Brothers at the, at the end of this trial as one of them takes a last wistful look at, his, uh, at the corpse of his blood brother. You know, speaking of family Bibles, this seems oddly Christian for a couple of pagan Vikings. Entombed for three days only to emerge gloriously? food for thought, I guess. The prophecy and oath was destined to come to pass, mostly because humans aren't generally immortal, 
And eventually, as it succumbed to some sort of wasting disease, that's a real bummer. I feel like my man was definitely hoping for a warrior's death, but hey, prostate cancer and tuberculosis or whatever the hell whatever the hell else they had back then, don't discriminate. So as any good friend would do, and I expect any of my listeners to do, should I meet an untimely demise, Asmund was entombed with three days' rations in a Viking burial mound, along with the corpse of Asvith and his horse and dog. I can't say for certain if the dog and horse were alive at the time of burial. 13th century scholars weren't super into details like that. More broad strokes, folks. Actually, wait a minute, I found it. In another retelling of the story, unfortunately, they were alive and they were just kind of chilling with Asmund. So, so a quick roll call. You've got the corpse of Asveth. You've got his dog, who's alive. His horse, who's alive. You've got Asmund, who's alive. And in this other uh, version of the story, you also have a hawk that's alive. So it... <laughs> As far as a tomb goes, it's pretty fucking lively. And that's about all we know for like six minutes. Again, 13th century scholars, not really that great at narrative pacing. But then again, neither am I. I'm jumping all over the place. They say basically right after the burial, this Swedish dude named Eric shows up with his army. I think it's more likely two or three days post-burial. And he sounds like he's very handsome and strong and smart, and would probably make a great podcaster. So Eric comes along. Not much info is given, including his last name, but I'm sure he's got flowing hair, young Arnold Schwarzenegger's body, and tons of five-star reviews on iTunes. And he sees this burial mound, and being a Viking himself, realizes that there's a pretty good chance there's treasure in the burial mound, and commands his men to hack the thing open with Maddox to get at the gooey treasure cream filling at the center of every Viking burial mound. They crack open the mound, and much to their surprise, it's cavernous. There's a vast, hollow space within the hill, atypical for these sorts of mounds. Not having the foresight of Indiana Jones, Uncharted, Skyrim, or... Nick Cage's national treasure films, they think it's a good idea to just lower someone into the inky black crypt below in a bucket with a meager torch for light. And this is easily a movie scene. The young Viking descending in a bucket into the cavern, lit from above while Asmund dashes across the foreground, unseen by the young unnamed Viking, annoyingly so unnamed. He hides just out of the sight of the torchlight, And as soon as the bucket touches down, cut to Eric and his Vikings watching the guy and the torch lower down and touch the ground and then wham! He gets tackled by some black form and the torch goes spiraling into a puddle of blood and goes out in time with a muffled scream. A few seconds pass like hours as they look down into the hole and feel the rope tug three times in the darkness. The universal sign for, pull me the fuck up and get me out of here. Hastily, they yank up the bucket from the blackness to see a Northman's helmet and graying beard being pulled up, but looking down. Lightning just flashed outside my window while I'm writing the outline, so we'll include that too. So they bring him all the way up out of the mound, and he finally turns illuminated by a flash of lightning to reveal his gruesome visage. 
It isn't the scout they sent down into the tomb. It's Asmund. His gray beard streaked with crimson blood, his face pallid, as if he had lived his whole life out of the sunlight. Claw marks raked across the left side of his face, and his ear was missing entirely. His clothes were torn and ragged. Tuid looked irreparably fucked up. Upon seeing this ghoulish warrior emerge from the tomb, Eric and the rest of the party just took off running. People just didn't mess with that sort of evil back in the day. Today, people are just breaking down the doors of haunted houses trying to get in and get some kind of encounter like this. I think it's because of the Industrial Revolution and the monotony that that causes for industrial society. But that's a whole nother episode. So while everyone is just taking off, which is hilarious in its own right. Asmund just shouts, quote, Why are ye so amazed to look upon me, emptied of all color? Truly any living man becomes diminished among the dead. I, I honestly have no idea what kind of accent that was, and I should know better what a, a Swedish or Scandinavian accent sounds like, but I, we're just rolling with it. Quickly, they realize that Asmund is actually a living man, and they gather around to hear his tale. The most surprising part of that is that they wouldn't have just cleft him in twain as soon as he emerged from the depths below. I've always wanted to say cleft in twain in context. Woohoo! Anyway, Asmund goes on to explain, presumably while the scout is still in the hole, just like, Guys? Anyone? Hello? Asmund explains his oath, and that he needed to spend three days with his homie's corpse, presumably clarifying several times that he wasn't gay. Asmund goes on to explain in the early part of his long, nightmarish, weekend-at-Bernie-style adventure in the crypt, passed uneventfully, and then he woke to the sound of horrific moaning and growling from Asvith's resting place. Asvith had risen from his eternal slumber for a fucking midnight snack. He had become a Draugr, a Scandinavian revenant, kind of a hybrid between a ghost and a zombie, a restless spirit possessing the undead flesh of the deceased, a zombie warrior of superhuman strength, a pungent odor of death, and long claws defined their kind, along with the insatiable hunger of the undead. Asvith had risen as a Draugr and consumed the dog in the burial mound. That's sad. And then ripped apart and ate the horse, too. This is starting to become a fucking very hungry caterpillar scenario very fast. But that wasn't enough for the Draugr. Asvith's soul was long gone, his body was a ghoul motivated by a preternatural hunger and greed to seek and destroy anything it could, especially grave robbers. Easily interpreting Asmund as both the former and the latter, the undead advanced upon his former best friend, clawing at his face and tearing his ear clean off the side of his head. I guess not clean. Um, he had blood running down his face in a vicious scar. Asmund begged him to stop, to remember who he was in life, but it was no use. He finally drew his sword and managed to lop the artist formerly known as Asvith's head clean off its unholy body. Thinking quickly with the head rolling around, 
spitting, growling, and biting at his ankles. He kicked the headless Draugr back into its coffin and staked it through the heart. Because, because some things are just fucking universal. After everything was explained, Osmond helped get the scout out of the tomb, and with him grabbed some of the treasure that lay within. At this point, his best friend was well and truly gone. Maybe to Valhalla, maybe to somewhere else. But either way, he wouldn't need the treasure. Eric was paid some of it for helping rescue Osmond from the mound inadvertently, and that's pretty much where the trail goes cold. At least in this book. There might be more in the actual texts that are referenced here. But this book mostly has a few pages of excerpts and editorials for each story. So I did a little bit more digging into where this story actually originated, and one of the amazing things about it is the story appears in a 16-volume tome, The Deeds of the Danes, which isn't like a bunch of tall tales and sagas and legends, but a generally accepted historical document. This detailed the history of the Danish people, from the founding of King Dan's kingdom, which is hilarious in its own right. I didn't, I didn't realize that the founder of uh, Denmark and the Dane, Danish people was just some dude named Dan. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, Dan, if you're listening, I hope you get a kick out of that. So it detailed the history of the Danish people from the founding of King Dan's kingdom all the way up through 1187, 1300, you know, kind of somewhere between those two dates. And there's very little besides this that modern people would consider overtly supernatural or paranormal. It's just nestled in a bunch of other historical records Records of war, records of who was king when, all that shit. And then kind of in the middle of it, there's just white walkers. (laughs) It's fucking crazy. In a weird way, that adds another like weird bit of credence to this tale. And I guess there you have it, folks. They don't really teach Draugr in history class. At least none of the courses I took. But the fringes of history are full of weird outliers like this. Whispered half-truths, passed down oral traditions, scattered sightings, and tales of the dead walking the earth in innumerable forms. It's probably nothing though, right? That can't happen in real life. I feel like I have to have that caveat on the end though. Having the men in black fuck up the alternator in the loner car I've been using is one thing, but having an ancient Norse warrior rip my ear off on the way to work is another thing entirely. My monitor headphones wouldn't fit right. I need that ear to bring you guys more Draugr stories. Man, that's a fun word. Draugr. So next time you're plundering old Nord tombs in Skyrim and one of these guys comes clickety-clacking towards you, before you lop his head off with um, Savage Strike or whatever that perk is that you can decapitate people with uh, two-handed weapons, remember, he or she, are there there female Draugr in Skyrim? I don't remember. Anyway, he or she could have been somebody's best friend. So that's basically what I've got this week for you guys. 
your homework this week is to tag and share this with your best friend and debate who's decapitating who when push comes to undead, unholy shove. I've had a lot of crazy stuff going on at work and my personal life this week, and I know the last two weeks have been a day late, which is making me seriously reconsider my 7 a.m. release time slot. I'm going to adhere to that as best I can, but as you can see, this one didn't even come out then because it was like 3 in the morning when I finished the outline and recording for this show. I mean, it's 3 in the morning now. <laughs> um, at least this one is going to come out today, but it's going to be something that I take a look at over the next few weeks. If you have any opinion on the matter one way or the other, like if you care if it's in the morning or so you can make your commute or if it's at night, or better yet, if you have literally any other opinion on the show, you can find all the socials, email, and other episodes at NightmareNow.com. I love you guys for sticking with me this long and continuing to do so. So go out this week and start your own quest. Start that podcast or novel or business or write that musical. Take that lesson or course, dust off that old skateboard or musical instrument. You're worth taking the chance on yourself. Anyway, I'd wish you all sweet dreams while you're chasing your own life dreams. But we all know it's only going to be nightmares now. Catch you next week.